Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading comes from Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 1 through to verse 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thanks very much for that, Chris. Um, Well, I wonder... What do you think great love looks like? Uh, What does great love look like to you? Uh, This was the question that a few weeks ago through my work at uni, uh, me and some of the Christian students put in front of people in what we call our Jesus Week. Uh, The theme of the Jesus Week in the group I work with this this year was uh, No Greater Love. Uh, You might remember Joel was up here uh, a month or so ago with a pink jumper which had No Greater Love uh, written on it. Uh, And so for Jesus Week this year, this is the question we put out there. uh, What does great love look like? And we had whiteboards and chocolates to give away and students were encouraged to write uh, whatever they wanted. And we had all sorts of things written down. Uh, You might see on the left there, someone wrote that uh, they think great love looks like chocolate. Amen. Uh, Or on the right, great love is like riding a motorcycle. Uh, Others wrote... Perhaps things that were slightly more serious. Great love is about showing physical affection. Someone wrote that great love is about hugs uh, or showing maybe practical care. Uh, Some talked about great love being a feeling, that warm, fuzzy kind of feeling that you might have towards someone. Uh, Some talked about great love in terms of compassion or understanding for someone. And what was clear as we asked these questions and as we chatted with people is that um, whatever exactly people thought great love was, uh, we all agreed that it was something we all wanted. We all want to be loved. I think that's right, isn't it? Perhaps you might even say we need to be loved. And yet to actually nail down exactly what great love is isn't necessarily simple. Um, Well, in this part of the Bible, in this passage that Chris has read out for us today, Paul is showing us what God's great love looks like, what God's love for his people looks like. 
um, what it looks like for God to love us. And some of us might ask, actually, is, is God even loving? You know, does God even love us? You know, can, can you even say that, that God is loving? And particularly that might be a question you might ask if you're in the middle of something hard at the moment. If God is loving, well then, um, why is he letting me go through uh, this thing that I'm going through? It might be hard to feel that God is loving at all right at the moment. And that is one of the things that Paul does address in the passage today. You might have picked up, there were a couple of verses in there about suffering and we will get a chance to talk about that. Um, but this is the claim of what we're looking at today, that God is loving, that God is greatly loving and that we see what God's love looks like in the message of the gospel, in the message of the good news about Jesus. Paul, um, in Romans, he's been taking us through this gospel message over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you'll know this if you've been with us. We've seen how Paul thinks that it's the gospel that's the thing that the Roman church needs to um, sort out some of these issues and these divisions that they have. Um, last week, we had these sort of long and drawn out complex arguments as Paul went through the reasons why um, God's grace is something that's given, not something that's earned or deserved. Uh, and as we come to Romans 5, uh, it seems like a lot of these themes are all summed up and drawn together uh, in these 11 verses. And I must say, as I started looking at Romans 5 this week, um, one of my questions was actually, is there anything new here? We've kind of, we've had the gospel in Romans 3 and 4, but what's new here in Romans 5? Um, what's Romans 5 saying that we haven't had yet? We've sort of had the logic of the gospel explained for us. Does Romans 5 give us anything new? And um, I am a bit slow on the uptake sometimes. Um, some of you might know that I used to be an engineer, and so um, when I'm in Romans 3 and 4, that logic, that kind of complex logic, really kind of gets me going. But um, sometimes I make the mistake of thinking that logic is all that's important. Um, I especially tend to make that mistake in marriage. My wife, Annika, comes home and um, she's had a bad day and a lot of the time I jump straight to the logic of what's gone wrong and um, look for answers for what she's going through. I don't know if you've ever made those sorts of mistakes with a friend or a spouse or a, uh, or a child. Because uh, after a few minutes I realise that logic is not actually what she's after, not what she needed. Actually what she wants is to be reminded of my love. And so as we come to Romans 5, it's actually not quite so much about more logic around the gospel, although there's some pretty good logic in Romans 5, and a little bit of it is new, I think. Uh, but what Romans 5 really hammers home for us is perhaps the thing that we haven't quite had so much in the last couple of weeks is that at the heart of the gospel is God's great love for his people. It's not, uh, the gospel isn't about just legal logic, it's a message of God's great love for us. And so this morning, um, this is less a morning where we want to think with our minds, although we certainly will do some, some good thinking, but um, this, is a, this is a morning where we want to come with our hearts and just behold God and his wonderful love for us in the gospel. And we will see today that the gospel has some pretty amazing implications and um, particularly that God's love has implications. God loves, God's love has implications. Um, actually, it has past, present and future implications and I think um, perhaps this is a good way to understand what Paul's saying in Romans 5, 1 to 11. So um, I thought this would be a good way to break it down. God's great love and the implications it has for us in the past, present and future. Um, there's the outline on the screen. You can, um, you can go and find that on the Sunday Hub as well if that's helpful. Um, good to have uh, the passage in front of you as well from Romans 5 if you have it on a, on a device or in a Bible. But um, let's, let's begin by looking at how God's great love is revealed in the past. Um, as I was at uni with that whiteboard and, and students were writing down what they thought great love was all about, um, a number of them asked me, what do you say? You know, what do you say? What do you think, what do you think love is about? Um, I don't know what you would say if someone asked you, kind of, what, what do you think love is all about? Um, my answer was that, to me, great love is about sacrifice. 
And I thought that was a pretty good answer. Um, of course, I wasn't put on the spot, so I got to think about it in advance. But um, I, think, I think this is what we see in Romans 5, that at the heart of God's gospel love is the sacrifice of Jesus. And the logic of Romans 5 is that since we can see God's love for us in the past, in the sacrifice of Jesus, we can then also be assured of God's love for us in the present and God's love for us in the future. That's the past, present and future thing. And sacrifice is right at the heart of it. You can actually see this right in the very first verse. Therefore, since we have been justified, past, since we have been justified, we have, present, peace with God. Since we've been justified, we have Peace with God. Because of what we've seen in the past, we can be assured of what we have in the present. Uh, but before we jump, jump ahead to the present, let's focus on how we've, how we've seen God's love to us in the past. Because we, we see this particularly in verses 6 to 8, the sacrifice of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us in the past. Paul says here, uh, from, from, verse, um, from verse 6, You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Uh, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If God's love is about sacrifice, well, here we see that God has very much chosen to demonstrate his love through sacrifice, through the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus who died for us. When you think of people who sacrificed their life for others. Um, Perhaps some of us might think of um, maybe military examples. Um, You might think of things like soldiers. Um, We might think of the Anzacs or the soldiers who give their lives fighting for their country. Um, And often if you go to war memorials, you'll see um, those famous words quoted, won't you? Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life uh, for their friends. Words that Jesus himself spoke in uh, the Gospel of John. And, And war does... War does give us incredible examples of sacrifice, doesn't it? I was reading this week about um, someone called William McFazian, McFazian, uh, who, who was a bomber in World War One. Uh, in World War One, he was unloading a crate of bombs in one of the trenches uh, when some of the some of the bombs spilled out and the pins in a couple of the grenades fell out. And um, well, this is how the London Gazette uh, reported what had happened. Uh, this is what the London Gazette said. It said. Uh, Private McFadson, instantly realising his danger to his comrades, with heroic courage, threw himself on top of the bombs. Uh, The bombs exploded, blowing him to pieces, but only one other man was injured. He well knew his danger, being himself a bomber, but without a moment's hesitation, he gave his life for his comrades. And there's a few other famous examples in war of soldiers who have done that thing that they call falling on a grenade for the sake of others. It's an in- incredible example of heroism, isn't it? And, and, and love for fellow soldiers to give one's life for their protection. McFadson could have protected himself, but he chose to give his life to save his friends. Uh, an incredible act of love and sacrifice. And McFadzian was rightly given the victorious Victoria Cross um, posthumously. Uh, for what he did that day, but um, just just not to lessen that the significance of something like that, but compare that act of sacrifice um, with the sacrifice of Jesus. And um, Paul says it there in verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Um, McFadzian was one of those rare examples. Uh, but the love of God takes it to another level, doesn't it? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Sin in the Bible is described in terms of rebellion, as, uh, as setting ourselves up against God, making ourselves God's enemies. The, the, the story of McFadzian giving his life for his comrades is amazing, but um, could you imagine if he'd, di- he'd dived on a grenade, not for his fellow soldiers, but for those he was fighting against? Um, now, that would be just mind-boggling, wouldn't it? And that is the radical sacrificial love of Jesus revealed in the gospel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, this, is, this is a claim that's right at the heart of the gospel and it's a claim that's important for us to grasp and get our heads around and feel the weight of. Um, because sometimes you will hear people say things like um, they, they think God is harsh or perhaps um, God's cruel because he judges people. Um, I just want to say, that's not what we see in the gospel, is it? In the gospel, we're the ones who have made ourselves God's God's enemies. We've set ourselves up against him. And yet, even while we were actively against God, his love was so great that even then, he chose to die for us. And and this this is what we see in the story of Jesus and the story of the cross. His disciples abandoned him. The authorities hated him. No one spoke up or defended Jesus. They were all his enemies, putting him to death And yet, despite everyone being against Jesus, he still went to the cross and died because of his love for the very ones who were putting him to death. Uh, That's no picture of cruelty. This is a picture of love, love for sinners, love for us, uh, love for those he would die for, even for us, even though we didn't deserve it. And um, when we talk about the gospel, it's important to get this right. Some Christians... Um, we, 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 can, we can do this, we can, we can sometimes talk about the gospel and just say things that are just slightly off, so we can say things like, you know, we have to surrender and give our lives to Jesus and then he, and then he comes for me and does the rest. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's very close, but it's not quite right because we don't, we don't make the first move in the gospel. He made the first move. He died for us even though we were still sinners. Or Christians could say something like, you know, we need to follow certain rituals. I need to come and take communion and be baptised and then, and then Jesus will come in and do the rest. But no, that's not quite the gospel as well. The gospel begins with Jesus. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And having died for us, well, God asked us to come to Jesus in trust and to join him uh, to be one of his disciples and be justified uh, before him. And we do come to him, but it's him who makes the first move. He loves us and so he opens the door of salvation to us. He provides that means of justification for us, the promise of the gospel. Which, um, by the way, just as an aside, is what we saw with Abraham last week, of course. Abraham didn't get circumcised and then receive the promise of grace. Paul was very keen to point out it was the other way around. God acted first and then circumcision was the sign of that promise. That's, that's very much Um, Similar for us, like communion or baptism, they are helpful signs of what Christ has already done. It's not that those signs or actions make Jesus choose to act. His salvation was actually never something we asked for or earned or deserved. He chose to die for us even while we were still sinners. He died for his enemies. Uh, And so how does this past act of love, Jesus' sacrifice for sinners, how does that then relate to our present? What implications does this love of God in the past have for us now? Our second point. And we can go back to the start of the chapter again. We, we read this already. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, but because of how we've seen God's love in the past, and if we've now chosen to come to Jesus and put our trust in him, 
What do we have in the present? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace we now stand. Notice the present tense now. We have now peace with God. We have gained access into his grace. We now stand in grace. We know that we were enemies of God. We were sinful. We set ourselves up against him. But now that we know that Jesus has died for us, we've we've seen his love and we know that we're justified. Well, that's the proof. We know now that we're no longer enemies. Instead, we now are at peace with God. God's love expressed in the present is that God is not our enemy, but he's our friend. We have peace with him. And if you're a Christian who trusts in Jesus, you can know that this is your present reality as well. Uh, Notice the way Paul puts it in verse 2. It's almost like he's talking about um, something geographical, like we've moved to a different place. Like you might say, we we used to stand in Victoria, and now we stand in South Australia. We used to stand against God. Now we're standing, um, verse 2, in grace, this grace in which we now stand. Um, Not that I'm saying Victoria is the land of sin and South Australia the land of grace. Um, Although perhaps you could imply that from what I'm saying. But um, if our present is standing in grace, what that means is that God no longer has anything against us. God is not out to get us. God is not waiting for us to slip up so that he can punish us. He's not our enemy. Now, um... Uh, this is one of the weird little quirky things that I like to do sometimes. Maybe you do it as well. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine, but I don't mind um, just on my phone watching a few dash cam videos. Have you ever seen a dash cam video? You get these people, they get the cameras on, the, on their cars and they drive around and then they kind of put on the internet the, the video of kind of some of the things that they see. So um, if they see a near miss or a car crash, um, they'll put those videos up on the internet for you to watch. Um, now this, I'm not, not saying dash cams are an evil thing to do or it's not bad thing to have one. I don't think that at all. I think they're fine. But um, I do think this is true. One of the big reasons that people have a dash cam is because they're out to get people. They're out to catch others. Um, Certainly, if you go kind of looking for how much it costs to buy a dash cam, that's what the marketing will tell you. You need this dash cam because if something goes wrong, you want to be able to prove that the other person is responsible. And sometimes you can even, some of these videos, even see it. Like the person is in a crash or something. Maybe they get sideswiped. And the person who's, who's been crashed into is almost excited. They're like, yes, I got you. And they get out of the car and they say, ha, I got it on dash cam. There's no way you're going to be able to get off on this. I've got the proof that you're in the wrong. Fantastic. It's like, you know, they're celebrating that they've just had a car crash. But um, can I put it this way? God is not like your typical Adelaide dash cam owner. And that's probably the biggest understatement I've, um, I've ever said. But God is not out to get you. God is not waiting for you to slip up so that he can prove you guilty. Sin is serious. And the message of Romans is certainly not that we should sin all that we want or that it doesn't matter. That's going to be a big point of the next couple of chapters. But God is not breathing down our necks, waiting for us to sin so that he can punish us as if he really wants to. No, we, as we stand in Jesus, we stand in grace. God is not our enemy. God is not looking to punish us or hurt us. Our punishment has already been paid. We're not at war anymore. We're at peace. And notice this is therefore very relational. It's peace, it's love. God's love has been poured out into our hearts uh, through the Holy Spirit, verse 5. God is full of love and generosity towards us, poured out. It's not a trickle, it's a, it's a pouring of love. And so what does this mean for how we come to God, how we treat God? Well, we treat him as our kind and generous father. 
And with a good father, the, the kids of that father, I think, will not be afraid of coming to talk to that dad. I certainly hope with my kids that my girls won't feel afraid of coming to talk to me or um, think that I'm out to get them or anything like that. And yet, um, perhaps in Romans 3 and 4, perhaps we haven't quite got that loving father picture of God. We've had such a technical couple of chapters um, that maybe so far our picture of God is a little bit more like he's a really great lawyer or something, um, working out a way to prove our innocence. Um, now, if you're ever in legal trouble, a great lawyer is a great thing, um, but you don't have an ongoing relationship with your lawyer, do you? I mean, maybe if your lawyer's really helped you out, you send him a Christmas card every year or something like that. Um, but no, with, with God, this is so much more. God is not our lawyer, he's our, he's our loving father. And so will we treat him like our loving father? Will we pray to him? Not because we think we have to, to earn his favour or to stay in his good graces, uh, but because we have a beautiful, loving relationship with God that we get to enjoy. We're at peace with him. And we just want to continue enjoying and receiving his grace and his good gifts. Um, but here's then perhaps the trickier part of what Paul has to say in the chapter, because uh, I think the logic so far has been relatively clear. We know that Jesus died for us, even while we're he- we were his enemies. And so we know that now we're justified and we stand uh, in-, in grace, we're-, we're at peace with God, he loves us. And so the question you might ask is, okay, if we have peace with God, and as I've just said, God is not out to get us, well, why then does God seem to be making my life so hard? You know, what, what about this suffering? If he's actually my good father, like we've said, well then, why does he seem to be doing such a crummy job of providing for me and looking after, looking after me? For some of us, I'm aware this might feel pretty real at the moment. I know some of us are going through some pretty tough things at the moment. Um, you might have had a really rough week uh, or a really rough year, maybe. And perhaps then it does sound a little bit hollow to say, well, God loves me, but it doesn't really feel like it so much because look at what he's putting me through. Well, what's Paul's answer to this? Well, suffering really is the bridge to talking about how God's love has implications in the, pre- in, the pa- in the past, it has implications in the present, and then it also has implications in the future. Because if we've seen that Christ died for us, and if we've seen point two, that we have peace with God, well, then we know that God's, uh, we know that suffering isn't because God's punishing us, The health challenges you're going through at the moment are not because God's punishing you for some sin or that he's your enemy. That just can't be right. We've we've seen that he loved us even when we were enemies. And because we've been justified, that's the proof that there's, there's no more punishment left to pay. We're at peace with him. So he's not putting you through those things as punishment or because he's out to get you. But perhaps what God might be doing is he might be using our suffering to teach us to hope teach us about the future implication of his love. I think this is what Paul's getting at in verses 3 and 4. He says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. It's pretty, um, it's pretty out there, isn't it, how Paul can actually speak positively about suffering might make you think Paul's a bit mad talking like this Um, I mean if someone came up to to you after church and um, shared about a really hard week that they had you you wouldn't say oh that's fantastic that's going to grow you in so many ways that's brilliant and yet that's always what Paul's saying isn't it (laughs) 
Although I don't think Paul is saying that sufferings are easy or fun or anything like that. Um, but he does seem to have this remarkable perspective on what suffering actually does for us. And because in this world that is full of sin, it's still a world that's full of sin and it's still a world that's full of rebellion against God and that affects us as well as others. Um, well, there is evil and things do go wrong. But in this world, what suffering therefore does is it produces perseverance. It helps us to learn to keep going when things are hard. That's right, isn't it? <coughs> as we go through those harder things and as we persevere through them, it does grow us in perseverance. It does grow our character. I could certainly tell you um, about some of the harder patches in my life, and no doubt they have been the times in my life where I've grown the most in terms of uh, my character. And as we grow in perseverance and as we grow in character, Paul also says we grow in hope. Uh, Christian hope is where we look to the future. I I think this is what Paul's talking talking about a little bit later on again in verses um, 9 and 10. Notice the logic in here as well. He says... um, Since we have been justified by his blood, that past again, how much more, future tense, shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we're still God's enemies, we'll reconcile him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Future tense. I think this is Paul talking about that time when Jesus will return and where God will judge the world, judge the evil in this world and finally do away with the evil in this world. And Paul's logic seems to be that if God loved us enough to die for us, even while we we were his enemies, well, of course he loves us enough to save us and protect us on that coming day of judgment. When we look forward to the future and to Jesus' return, we can look forward with a great and a certain hope. And the proof of it is what he's done for us in the past. Now, hope is an interesting thing. There are lots of times we might hope in life, Uh, But hope sometimes sets us up for disappointment, I think. Um, I quite like um, going to the movies. Um, We've we've found it uh, not so hard as parents to get someone to come and babysit, maybe after the kids are already asleep, and so we can just um, duck over to see a movie. Um, Half the reason I like it is you just get to sit still in a dark room for a couple of hours. That's pretty nice. Um, Don't even care if the movie's on, to be honest. But um, with the movies themselves, I've learned over the years that uh, I enjoy movies a lot more if I go in with not too much hope. Uh, You see, if I go in hoping that a movie's going to be awesome, uh, it almost invariably doesn't quite live up to the hype, and in some ways I'm disappointed. But on the other hand, if I go into a movie kind of hearing that it probably wasn't that good and not expecting it to be that great, then I'm often pleasantly surprised. Uh, Well, when it comes to the Christian hope, Paul says we can have those high expectations, and we will not be disappointed, we will not be let down. Uh, Verse 5 said that, didn't it? Hope does not put us to shame. And the reason, again, just to hammer it home, the reason that we can know this truth is the past and the present. We know Jesus died for us, even while we're still sinners. And so we know we have peace with God now. And so we know that our future hope will not let us down. Jesus will return, and on that day we will be saved from God's wrath. And going back to suffering, this is the beauty of suffering. See, suffering reminds us that Life at the present is still not how it's meant to be. Suffering reminds us that better is still to come. Suffering only increases our longing and our hope. Um, You might have heard a joke before about how it's... um, There there are times in a Christian's life where it's kind of hard to pray your kingdom come. Um, Say, I I remember the night before um, my wedding, we were making that joke. You wouldn't want Jesus to come back tonight, would you? Um, At least let him hold off another week so you can go on your honeymoon. 
And by God's grace, there are those happy times in life where we kind of almost enjoying, are enjoying life so much where we kind of almost wouldn't want God to come back straight away, especially, you know, we're here in Adelaide. It's beautiful spring weather. It's a pretty nice time to be alive. Um, you might be having that sort of time at the moment where life is good. Um, but suffering, when suffering does come, and it does come for all of us, uh, for temporary times, for long times, uh, when suffering does come, it points us forward. God's love isn't just about past and present, it's about future. He wants more for us than to live in this broken world of sin. He wants us to be part of his eternal kingdom, where suffering will be done away with. And that doesn't mean suffering now is an easy thing, uh, but it does mean that suffering now makes us yearn for that day. And that hope is a good thing. And as Paul says, that hope will not disappoint, it will not let us down. Um, So a word for if we're suffering at the moment, well... Um, If this is you, if you are going through something hard at the moment, I do hope you're sharing uh, that hard time with others in the church. We want to be praying for each other and suffering with each other. Um, If you are suffering with something that you haven't kind of shared with anyone, I'd really say it would be a great thing to um, talk to someone after church today, talk to a friend. Uh, If you'd like to share something with me after church, I'd love to pray with you. Um, And Suffering is never easy. At one level, I don't have too many answers about it, Um, only that I hope that when you pray about suffering, um, we can pray that suffering goes away. That's, that's good. Uh, but even more importantly, let's pray that your suffering will build your perseverance and build your character and grow your hope. And because if we're in Jesus, we do have something far better than this broken world to look forward to. Well, I think that's what this first part of Romans 5 has to say to us. It shows us this great love of God. It's, uh, it's a love that we behold, God's amazing gospel love. We've seen it through the past in the sacrifice of Jesus. He died for us even while we were his enemies. And what he's done in the past is the proof of what we have now. We're at peace with him. He's not out to get us. We have a loving father who we can go to and who we can worship. And as you look forward to the future, we can know that even if our present isn't going so well, we can look forward with hope. He has great things in store for us in eternity and they're sure and they're certain. And we have the proof of it in what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to sing about Jesus and about beholding him and about his love and remembering what he did for us. Uh, So let me pray and I'm going to invite the band to come up and lead us. Father God, we thank you for your love for your people. Thank you for Jesus, for his death for us, even while we were still in our sin. Uh, We didn't deserve that love, but uh, help us anyway to trust in what he's done. Give us faith. Help us to be increasingly aware of your love, to behold your love, and to have opportunities to kind of wrestle with what's going on in the present. Help us to trust Jesus with what we've got going on at the moment. We thank you that We have peace with you. We have you as our loving Father. Thank you for the great truth that as we trust in Jesus, we know we have a sure and certain future hope for what's to come. And grow that hope, would you, Father? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.